Let's open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. This morning we'll look from verse 7 of Ecclesiastes 11 to chapter 12, verse 8. This is the penultimate uh, section of Ecclesiastes. Uh, one more sermon after this, then we're done with the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 7 to chapter 12, verse 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few and those who look through windows grow dim. And the doors on the street are shut, and, and the sound of the grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of the songs will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of, high, of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. There is a quote that I think some of you are familiar with, and it probably came to your mind as I was reading this text. There's this famous saying in Latin called carpe diem, which translated means cease the day. Now, though this quote is familiar to us in our Western world, I think one thing that's missing is the rest of this sentence. That phrase, carpe diem, is Latin, and there's actually a little bit a longer sentence I think actually helps encapsulate the idea a little bit better. And I'm not going to read Latin because I don't know Latin, but you could probably ask some of the homeschoolers, they might know it. Uh, but the, the line that comes after seize the day is this, 
Put very little trust in tomorrow. Seize the day. Put very little trust in tomorrow. And although this is written in 23 BC, the idea, I think, stems all the way back to what Solomon talks about here in the book of Ecclesiastes, that life is short, so cease the day. You don't know what tomorrow will bring, so enjoy the life that God has given you. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, as we see in chapter 1, verse 1. It begins by saying the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And Solomon, we know, is known as the wisest man in the world, but that's really a misconception of who he is. Because he didn't ask God for wisdom necessarily, but rather he asked for discernment. He asked God to give him the ability to know right and wrong so that he can govern Israel well. He asked God to give him this unique ability so that he can watch over and guard the people. And for a while, it seems that he did excellently. He used God's gift well. God was pleased with his request, and the result of that was he was able to get wealth and health and all the prosperity and all the things that, that, uh, that's reserved for those that are seeking after him. But we know that even though Solomon has this unique ability to discern right and wrong, he chose the wrong path. First Kings 11 tells us of this king that his, because of his sinfulness, because of his folly, even though he had this unique ability, he chose the things that made him turn his heart away from the Lord. This recurring phrase in First Kings 11 is that because of all of these foreign women, that his heart was turned away, that he longed after other gods. And if you read through 1 Kings 11, you might conclude that Solomon was some sort of false convert, that he didn't believe in Yahweh, that he abandoned the faith. And I believe Ecclesiastes functions as an epilogue of sorts in his life, that he looks back at his life, that he sees that it is completely wasted. All the pleasure that he pursued, all the materialism, everything that he tried to live without God, he concluded that everything is vain. In the first 10 chapters of Ecclesiastes, it was really a philosophical argument about why living in this fallen world, as short as it is, it is completely meaningless without the Lord. That life in a fallen world without God, as brief as it is, is completely meaningless without God. Life can sometimes be like bubble gum. You can chew it and the flavor lasts maybe five seconds or so, and afterwards you just have this little thing in your mouth. Or life can be described as cotton candy. You put, it looks nice when it's being made, and you put it in your mouth, and it just dissolves right away. Life is like a vapor, the steam off the little, your coffee cup. You see it for a while, and it just disappears. Because that's how short our life is. And if we want to honor the Lord and glorify God in this life, as a brief life that we have here, how are we supposed to do it? How do we cease the day? How do we enjoy all that God has given us in this life? How can we do it in such a way that is honoring to the Lord? If we're outlined this morning, there's two ways in which we can do that. Two ways in which we can glorify the Lord in this fallen world. It's first is to rejoice, and second is to remember. First, we rejoice in the Lord, and second, we need to remember the Lord. Let's look at 
Our first point, rejoice. Chapter 11, verse 7. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Solomon begins this portion here by talking about how life in the light is good. Is you, this, this illustration here is used to describe just living in, in a world where there's light, basically daytime. Because back then, you couldn't really do much at night. They didn't have what we call a night life. People didn't do much at nighttime. They were usually at home. But during the day, that's when they can work. That's when they can go and meet people. That's when they can socialize. So Solomon's saying that the light is pleasant. Enjoy this life. And I think it goes beyond just looking at being outside, but just this reality that daytime doesn't last forever. Eventually, it will become nighttime. That this life here is short. That's why Psalm said, Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. In this short life, you're called to rejoice, to celebrate, to enjoy the life that God has given you. Focus on the good things in life, because we know that those things will eventually pass away. We rejoice knowing that there is a sweetness in life, but eventually it will become bitter. Sooner or later, eventually you will face loss, you will face discouragement, you will face grief. That's why Solomon continues by saying, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Suffering and hard times will come. There will be a lot of them. There will be good times where you get to enjoy time and seemingly in the sun, and there will be times where you're in the darkness. And this is not a new concept that Solomon has stating at the very end. Because all the way back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he talks about the reality of time. That time, there's a time to give birth, and there's a time to die, there's a time to plant, there's a time to be uprooted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, and on and on again, that there are these extremes in life. You go through times of enjoyments and pleasure and happiness, and then you also go through times of loss, disappointment, and depression. And the older you get, you will experience one extreme to the other. And when you swing to the pendulum of, happiness, you rejoice, but knowing that eventually it will swing back the other way and you'll be in time of darkness. That here, when it says the days of darkness, I don't think it's speaking of moral darkness in terms of something that you did wrong, but it's just the reality that life in a fallen world, there'll be difficult times. It's just a general word to describe hardship in life. And the older you get, the, mo- the longer you live in this world, the more you'll see that you go from one end to the other. Solomon is trying to get us to not take life for granted, that greet each day with thankfulness and rejoicing in the Lord. Verse 9, rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Now, this is probably something that stuns a lot of because it feels like very hedonistic. Just do whatever you like. Whatever your heart craves, whatever your eyes desire, go after it. Enjoy it. Enjoy all the things that life has, that God has given you. Rejoice while you're still young. While older people praise God for the length of God's faithfulness, young people praise the Lord because they get to enjoy 
the, the strength and the ability and the gifts that God has given them in their youth. He is speaking to young people. He's not trying to uh, make the young people feel bad or guilty over what they have received from the Lord, but to know that all of these things are from God. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all good things to enjoy. James chapter 1, verse 7, James writes, uh, sorry, for James chapter 1, verse 17, James writes, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. All that you have in this life, from the smallest thing in your life to the greatest thing, to like your socks to your house, everything that you have is a gift from the Lord. And you can enjoy those things with a clear conscience, knowing that, that we're not supposed to be worshiping the thing itself, but worship the God who is a giver of all good gifts. Psalm saying, whatever you, your heart's desire, whatever brings you great cheer, pursue those things. And I know some of you young people here are thinking, see mom, dad, Pastor Ray is telling me to enjoy Fortnite to the glory of God. And that is exactly what I am saying. I'm saying that you need to enjoy all that God has given you to the glory of God. But understand that there is a counterbalance here. Because at the end of verse um, 9, Solomon says, Yet yeah, know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. It sounds almost like a bait and switch. Like, yeah, do all of these things, but no God will judge you. In a sense, that's what, exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to understand that in this life, you will have to give an account to the Lord for how you live. And what is interesting about this verse in light of this chapter is that in chapter 11, there's so many things that Solomon said that you do not know about this life. In verse 2, he tells people to, to, to divide their investments because you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Verse 5, Solomon says, Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Verse 6, sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. So all of that to say in the beginning of chapter 11, there's so many things that you just don't know in life, but there's one thing that he is definitely clear on, is that you will be with God and he will have to give an account to the Lord on how you live. How you live your life in this moment matters because you know that there is a life after. And he's certain that one day that you will see the Lord and you have to give an account on how you use the gifts and the life that he has given you. Psalm here understands that young people have many temptations. In the case you think that you can live however you want, understand that Solomon knows what that life is like. He knows what it's like to pursue every pleasure there is under the sun. And he did it without the Lord. And his conclusion was that his life was miserable because it was not honoring to the Lord. It was not centered around God and it was meaningless. All his pleasures, all his endeavors led him to nothing. And he wasn't able to even enjoy any pleasure because they were outside of God's boundaries. He wasn't able to enjoy the materialism or the relationships that he has 
because they were not centered around the Lord. Celebrate the gift of youth, but know at the same time that God, who's the giver of all these gifts, will have to ask you, how did you use the gifts that he's given you to glorify him? And you can't expect to give a good answer if you're living in sin. You can't expect to enjoy this life if it is filled with sin. And Solomon is trying to get us to understand that, that life in a fallen world, if, you're, if it's in sin, although you might have momentary pleasures, at the end of all things, you will realize that you've wasted your life. Life to Solomon was completely meaningless without God. And it will be that way for you and me if we live life for pleasure and not for the Lord. If you're certain of God's sovereignty over your life and the authority over your life, it doesn't regulate you from doing sin. It doesn't mean that you can do sinful things. Rather, it enables you to enjoy the life that God has given you. The second that you acknowledge that God is the center of all things, that's when you can truly enjoy the gifts of the Lord and, have find, and find meaning and purpose in it. The life without God is meaningless and pleasure without God is meaningless. Then the opposite is also true. That life, purpose, pleasure, all of these things are meaningful because, you, because God is the center of all things. You can embrace and enjoy all the things that God has given you if God is the center of everything. People who are obsessed with their work, and that's all they think about. They could spend hours, weeks, years, and decades uh, on their career only to look back and realize that everything that they've done is completely useless because they did not work with God in the, as a center. They didn't think, how can I use my, uh, my career as a way to build up God's kingdom? How can I give glory to God with the gift that God has given me? Some, there could be people that, that live in a way that's just filled with pleasure. All they care about is going on vacations and buying things. And maybe for a while you can enjoy those things, but eventually you look back at your receipts, you look back in your closet, you look back at all the things that you possess, and you realize that all that you have, all of the time and money you spent is completely meaningless. Again, these things are not bad, but things like rest, things like things that you buy, these are ways in which they could, should rejuvenate you to go and honor the Lord some more because of it. It should give you rest so that you can go back to doing what God wants you to do. And this goes the same way with ministry as well. If you think about ministry as just a place that you come to church to do things, as opposed to focusing on the glory of God and trying to make it known, then you find that ministry will become meaningless. You find yourself going in and out of church, not knowing why you're doing what you're doing. You'll be discouraged because God is not this person you're truly serving. You're just here as a busybody. And Solomon's trying to get that get this point across that whatever we do, whatever gifts that we have, we should enjoy it to the glory of God. But we must fear the Lord. Nothing matters without God. But with God, everything matters. Everything matters because we know that this life is not all that it has, that we have an eternal life, and that we have to give an account to the Lord in how we are to live our lives. If we have God at the center of everything, Everything will make sense. That's why Solomon says in verse 10, So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. So he's saying that your life is, is short. Don't 
dwell on those things that are not going well, but rather rejoice. Rejoice the things that you do have. Rejoice. But for us, what are we supposed to rejoice in? If we know that God is the author and giver of our physical life, then we rejoice knowing that he's given us everything here. But as Christians, it's not just that. Because we know that God is also the author and the giver of our eternal life as well. This life is fleeting. All the pleasures that we get to enjoy in this life, they will eventually pass. We get to live this life for the Lord, and we, can, and we should do it with a clear conscience. We should feel guilty with the things that God has given us. And this is why in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul writes, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, everything that you do, do it for the glory of God. We get to enjoy this life And with every passing moment, we can anticipate a greater joy that is to follow. It is. It will be hard. There will be hard times, and those hard times will make us think that it will pass. That's why early on he said that the bad times will come. There will be fertility as well. When we go from one place to another, it is going to be difficult, and it's going to be heart wrenching at times. But we know that in heaven, one day we will be with the Lord. And that's the promise that the Lord has given us. That's why we rejoice in this life, because every passing moment, we are inching closer and closer to paradise. Heaven is a place that is without darkness. Heaven is a place where there is no time of discouragement. And any time in this life when we go from one extreme to the other, we rejoice, knowing that it reminds us of God's promises in the future. Which leads to our next point. If you want to glorify God in this fallen world, not only do you rejoice in the Lord, but also you need to remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. In the Old Testament, whenever we see the word remember, a lot of times it's, it's not just getting, recalling to mind data or information. In fact, in, the old, in Genesis, it says that God remembered Noah. He was, he was on the ark by himself. It wasn't that God did not know that the people on the ark and the animals are the only thing left on earth. He needed some sort of reminder. Rather, this was just language that is used to describe what God was doing. Because it wasn't that God didn't have knowledge. He's omniscient. But that remembrance compelled him to act. Uh, It says in in Genesis as well, when Rachel didn't have children, God remembered the covenant he had with Israel. And then that, that resulted in her having a child. Or in the book of Exodus, where the Israelites were in Egypt... And God remembered his covenant and he moved to action to redeem them and get them out of Egypt. The result is that if, uh, if God, we're called to, uh, the, the idea is that when we remember something, it should not only just give, it's not just recalling information, but it's information that gets us to act in a certain way. And that's why in verse, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, remember also your creator. We're called to remember God. And this word remember is not just something that we do one time in our life. We remember on this day, and then we forget God the rest of the time. Those word remember is continual. We're supposed to, the moment we become a believer, we're constantly remembering who our God is. It says that he, remember your creator, which implies that we belong to the Lord. And the older you get, the more jaded you become of the things of the world. Things in the world doesn't seem as interesting or as exciting as it used to be. And Solomon tells the reader to remember the Creator. Why? Before the evil day comes and the years draw near, when you, say, when you will say, I have no delight in them. 
Solomon commands the listener to remember God. The moments where things get difficult, it is hard to think clear and to think straight. But yet in those moments where it's difficult, remember your creator, that he created you in this life and he's sovereign over all things. That means even the calamity, the difficult things in your life, he has created and is sovereign over those circumstances as well. And in these moments where you're in time of ease, cultivate in your mind and heart a diligence in terms of remembering who God is. Remember the Lord now before the hard times come. God created our life and we owe our life to him. God tells us to remember him as our creator. And everything in this world we get to enjoy, but there will be times of difficulty. And in those times and difficulties, we need to remember the Lord. That's why I said before the evil days. I think this phrase evil days is similar to the days of darkness. It's just generally general times of difficulty. When life gets hard, remember the Lord. That's why later from really verse 2 to verse 7, Solomon begins to give different illustrations to describe what life is like when you get older. Remember the Lord while you're young because what's ahead of you is all of these different difficult things. This is in verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. This is just speaking of this time where things will get difficult. There is a time of sun and then eventually things will get darkened. It's like these are calamity languages here. So that when those times come, remember that God is the creator of all things. In verse 3, he begins by saying, In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble. The watchmen back then were, just, were really like a sentry or a soldier that's guarding a city. And he's saying here that, that this watchman will eventually become weaker. In the day the watchmen of the house tremble, they, their physical strength begins to fade. A few years ago, I remember watching a documentary on, on Muhammad Ali. And this was not during the time when Muhammad Ali was at his prime. In fact, it was toward, during the end of his Rain. He wasn't. He didn't move as well as he used to. He was a lot more fluffier. You know, he wasn't fluff, fluttering like a butterfly anymore. He was a, a bigger individual. Uh, he wasn't able to run as fast. He didn't move as quick as he used to. And yet, there were all these people that were cheering him on as if he was still at his prime. And this documentary is very sad because you realize that he isn't there anymore. But people were just trying to feed him information that as if he still, he's as he still got it. And they were interviewing people. Why did you let him fight? Why would you let him go into this fight knowing that he's in this condition that he wasn't going to win? And the reason was just because, well, we wanted money. We know that he was a draw, even though he was no longer at his prime. And this is the same idea here, that the, when the prime of a person passes, they become weaker and weaker. Notice it's also said, it's, um, the mighty men stoop. This is this idea that as you get older, your physicality is not what it was. And eventually, you just kind of slouch and you get lower and lower. You're, you don't have the physical ability to keep yourself up anymore. And then continuing on, is that the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. This is speaking of just losing your teeth, that you're born with no teeth and you grow up and then you grow and you have these little baby teeth and you lose those baby teeth and you have these adult teeth and eventually you lose those teeth as well. And you become like a child again and singing the song in Christmas time, like, all I ever want in Christmas is my two front teeth. Because you start losing your teeth the older you get. 
And if your little teeth can talk, they'll say, man, I remember when we used to have these, like the canines or the molars, now it's just only three, like three of us left. The point is that as you get older, you'll find that you eventually you, you won't be able to enjoy food that, you're used, that you used to enjoy. So if you're able to enjoy food now, praise the Lord. Remember that at some point in your life, you may not be able to enjoy it anymore. The next thing is, and those who look through windows grow dim. This is your vision getting worse and worse. You stop being able to see things the way that it was before. Your lenses get thicker, or your eyes, it just gets, things just become more fuzzy. It's speaking the reality that you eventually lose your vision. So if you're able to see now, praise the Lord. Rejoice and remember that the reason why you can see is because of God's grace. And verse 4 says, And the doors of the streets are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of songs will sing softly. There's, it's a speaking of just this paradoxical reality of an older person, that if you walk up to an elderly person, you have to raise your voice to try to get their attention, and they'll say, what? And you just keep saying, speaking loudly. It's not that we're like mad at the elderly person, it's just that we're just trying to get them to hear what we have to say. And although they can't hear us in our screaming tones or volume, somehow a little cricket or a little bird can wake them up in the middle of the night. It doesn't make any sense. And for the elderly, sleep becomes difficult. Now, you, I know you're probably wondering, what is the point of all of this? And it's just the reality that life is fleeting. Remember that God gave you all your senses to enjoy, so while you still can, enjoy those things. And some of you are older. You're thinking to yourself, well, I'm, I'm beginning to feel these physical pains, and that's okay, that's fine. But in those moments, remember that God has still graciously allowed you to enjoy these things. Verse 5 continues on. Furthermore, men are afraid of high places. And, and that, that just exactly, means exactly that, that some, suddenly everything just seems a lot higher than it used to be. I remember like just watching my kids jumping off things, I would panic and freak out uh, because I think like, oh no, they're going to break all their bones in their body, but they're really jumping from like the first step to the floor and I'm already panicking. Uh, it's like suddenly I feel that age, like everything just seems so much higher or I don't want to fall because if I fall, everything in my body will break. And it goes on to continue saying that the streets are a very terrible place. The terrors are on the road. And this is like when you're young, you think, I can go down the street, I can take care of myself, thug life. You, know, you could go for it, or you could run away. You think that you're able to do those things, but as you get older, you look down at certain places, you just don't want to go there anymore. Uh, you drive and you see, welcome to Oakland, you think, okay, no stopping, we're foot, putting the foot on the, gla- on the gas, we're going to get out of the city, because it's dangerous. There's, there's places that becomes, uh, it, it makes us more terrified, because we understand what's out there in life. And so the, um, the, the almond tree blossom. I had to look up what an almond tree looked like and I realized I had actually seen it before when I was driving down to five in college and in seminary. I remember seeing these trees that they're all white. And the picture that Solomon is trying to get at is that as you get older, you'll have white hair. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the white hair and the Bible speaks of wisdom that comes with white hair and some of you may not have hair at all. And that's also okay, because that's just a part of being in a fallen world, that your body starts to decay. Don't make fun of bald people, because we see that in the Old Testament, and bears attack those people. So let's you know, 
keep our comments to yourself when pe- about people's hairs. But it's just a reality that Solomon's trying to get at, that you become older, your body changes. Later on, he said, the grasshopper drags himself along. This is speaking of a, a grasshopper, the little bugs that jumps around and fly around. Eventually, they don't move like they used to anymore. They just kind of like slowly walk. And this is a reality that as you get older, you're not as mobile as you used to. You might even need a cane to help you drag along and walk around. Your legs don't work the same. Then later on, I continue on to say the caper berry is ineffective. This is just speaking of the reality that you won't enjoy sex like you used to. That desire for intimacy is gone. Moving on, for man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the streets. This is the sad reality that the older you get, the more funerals you go to. Two years ago, there was a, I guess we're speaking of Oakland, uh, there was a family in a car in Oakland. They were just driving on the freeway, and a car pulled up to them on the freeway and started shooting into this car. And the kid, there was a two-year-old that died, uh, and I know this, and I not only know I mean, you're here on the news and reading about it, but I, I know where this kid is buried. I'm not creepy like that, but it's just that I saw this kid in a mausoleum that's about three or four places away from my father-in-law. And it's strange that you look at this, this mausoleum, you see someone that is 60 years old, and you see people that surpass 60 years, and this kid didn't even per- surpass six years old. That's the reality of life, that there are people from, that, that you, as you get older, you just see more people going into the grave. In fact, me being here at SF Bible for seven years, I've done more funerals than I've done weddings. I've gone to funerals more than I've gone to weddings. And that's just the reality. The older you get, the more you see people enter into eternity. That's why in verse 7, it says, Remember him before the silver cord is broken, the golden bowl is crushed, and the pitcher of the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. These are all different illustrations to describe something precious that's destroyed. Uh, the, gold, the silver cord is broken. Could be, I guess in our modern day, it would be like a chandelier that's hanging by a thread. You know, when that thing snaps, the whole chandelier falls and it breaks. And Solomon is trying to get us to see that the moment your body breaks down, there's no going back. No amount of science can fix that. Now, I think Solomon doesn't fully understand about the resurrected body, about what, about coming back to life one day and having a new glorified body. But us as New Testament believers, we know that this is true for us. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer body is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary affliction, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are, are temporal, but things which are not seen are eternal. And it's a reminder that before your body collapses, before your body breaks apart, this is where you need to remember the Lord. This is where you need to remember that we have something that God has promised for us in the future. Some of us are older than others, and that's a good thing because we get to be closer to that eternal state. where We get to have this resurrected body one day. We look forward to that because we remember God's promises. This is 
again, Psalms speaking about the precious, preciousness of life and the ability that, that your life can be cut short. And it could be because of just a, a, a tragedy like getting shot at or, or a car accident or it could be a slow death like a disease. Whatever it may be, we need to remember the Lord so that we can have hope in those hard times. Your body will begin to shut down at some point. And as in those moments, you need to remember the promises of God. This is a call for us to think seriously about the reality of death, that life is short. In verse 7, it says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. This should sound familiar to us. When Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed them by saying, your, your body is going to die now, and you're going to go back to dust. This is the reality that Solomon understands. He's lived long enough, he's seen it happen, and he's telling the readers that your body will go to dust again. But yet, your spirit will go back to the Lord who gave it to you. And throughout this whole thing, he tells us to remember God before all of these events. All right, verse 1, he said, remember also your creator, in the days of your youth, before the days of evil. And in verse 2, before the sun and the light. And then verse 6 again, remember before the silver cord is broken. It's in those moments where you still have time to live, you still have opportunity to remember. That's when you need to remember God. Remember God and delight in the Lord while you still can. While you still have the opportunity to fill your life with many things and with meaning and purpose, here's a chance for you to fear the Lord. I think when people go through midlife crisis or quarter-life crisis or teenage crisis, they are living life for an extended period of time without God. And in the end, they wonder, what is the point of all of this? And they can't find lasting meaning or joy because they try to live life without God. And Solomon is trying to get us to think that before you die, before where it's hard to live, This is where you want to remember God. Because in those moments, even though you may not be able to enjoy all the things uh, that you used to, at least you remember that you have God. Delight in the Lord while you still have the opportunity to. Remember God. Turn to Him while the opportunity is still there. Because of that, Psalm says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the acceptance of the brevity of life. The life in this world is short. How do we make sense of all of this? That we need to remember God and live life to His absolute fullest, and also at the same time remembering the promises of the Lord. You get to enjoy this life, and you're going to have moments where it's going to be very difficult. In fact, I'll argue that there will be more hard times than there are good times, and it's in those times, remember the Lord. Remember Him for all that He's done for you in the past and what He's promised for you in the future. This is how we get to honor the Lord and glorify Him in this fallen world. That we look to the Lord, we remember His promises. This is again why it's so crucial to remember God while you are young, because that, that, should be, that will be able to carry you on throughout the highs and lows of life. To remember God is to live our lives for God. It is filled with meaning if God is at the center of all things. Whether we have good times or bad times, whether we have struggles or blessings, whether God gives something or takes away, we remember who He is. We need to praise God for all that He has done, all of His blessings, and continue to remember and to trust in the Lord during the times of trouble. In every moment, we need to remember God. The best time 
to do that is while you're still young, where you still have the opportunity to be able to enjoy this life to its fullest for the glory of God. Give your life to the Lord while you still have enough time to enjoy this life, to do all the things that you're passionate about for God's kingdom. Remember God at all times. Remember God when you're at home or when you're at a convalescent home. Remember God when you're inside the house or outside the house. Remember the Lord when there's times of great joy and when there's times of great misery. Remember the Lord when it's the daytime and when it's the nighttime. Remember the Lord at all times. Don't waste the life that God has given you by forgetting the Lord. In this context of this chapter, you can live. it talks about how you need to live life to its fullest, but always remember that God is your creator. Life has many uncertainties, but one thing that is certain is that you will age and eventually you will die. And before the moment you die, remember the Lord. Live a little with the little time that you have left. Rejoice in the Lord for what he has given you. Again, this is a, this is a really like a pattern response here. You rejoice in the Lord and then you remember the Lord. You rejoice in him and then you remember him. If you can enjoy anything in this life, rejoice. And when you're in times of suffering, remember the Lord. And when you are going through even bad times, rejoice, knowing that you're getting closer and closer to seeing God's promise being fulfilled. And when you're doing the good times, remember also that eventually dark times will come. And I trust that as you continue to rejoice and to remember the Lord, you will live in a way that's filled with meaning and purpose, and ultimately you'll be glorifying to the Lord and all that you do in the short life that you have here on earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your word in reminding us of how short this life is. And for all, some of us who are older and have lived on this earth longer, I pray that you can help them remember, the, remember you, remember all that you've done for them, remember the, even the little blessings and how you've given them this life and also the future promises that each and every single one of us have who trust in you. We know that this life is not all that's happened. This body is, is just wasting away, but we have this eternal body awaiting for us as believers. And I pray for the young people that as they enjoy life, that they rejoice and remember that everything that they do, they have to give an account for as well. Help us, Lord, to think with an eternal perspective. Allow us to honor you in all that we do. May we do all things for your glory. In your son's name I pray. Amen.